Amen. Love that final verse. You can be seated. That final verse talks about more than Jesus coming the first time, but the second time. Jesus returned. And when all the earth, there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, all those prophetic fulfillments will become a reality in this world. We look forward to that day. Give your Bibles. I want you to take them to Matthew chapter number 1 and Matthew chapter number 2. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture. We're going to look at a theme today. And I want to talk to you. This week I'm going to talk to you about Joseph. Next week I'm going to talk to you about Mary. And, and then the following week, of course, will be Christmas. We will be having church. Amen. We'll be having church that morning, our same time, 11 o'clock. But we're going to be talking about the Lord Jesus then. But I want to look at Mary and Joseph for these next two weeks and before Christmas. And I want to draw truth out of their lives. Uh, these are certainly very unique individuals as far as the Bible is concerned. And so they have a unique position in the unfurling and unfolding of prophecy and in involving in the life of Jesus. And I think, I think the life of Joseph, Joseph has a lot to teach us, particularly us men. I think there's something for all of us to glean this morning. But particularly us men this morning, Joseph is a striking example as a model of godliness. And so I want us to look at him this morning. We'll first pick up reading in Matthew 1, chapter, verse number 18. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when, uh, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost." And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his, uh, his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now skip over to chapter 2 and pick up reading in verse number 13. Very important, very important look at this man Joseph, not only at the nativity, the birth of Jesus, but his subsequent obedience after that period of time. Notice 13. And when they departed, this is talking about those, uh, uh, the, the wise men. This is on the tail end of the wise men, the Magi visit in, verse, in chapter number 2. But as they were departed, meaning the wise men, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph once again in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. 
and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and, and all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they were not. But when Herod was dead, he, uh, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Egypt. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came to dwell in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. I want to speak to you again on this, of this subject this morning, Joseph, a model of godliness. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for all that the Bible contains for us, examples that it gives us of lives that are yielded to your will. And such is the case with Joseph. Here is a man of, of unusual character, character traits that ought to be the desire of every one of us as believers, but particularly for every one of us men that follow the Lord Jesus. God, we want to be godly men. We want to be led. We want to see this example and apply it to our lives. We want the best for Jesus to be the center of our lives. His protection, His prominence to be everything that permeates our thoughts and decisions and the way we conduct and live our lives. God, help us to be so. Help us to see that in Joseph's life. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I'm sure, as, as Jackie mentioned earlier, trying to mess with Christmas lights, and I, I pulled ours out this year, and none of them worked, the outdoor lights. I had to go buy a new outdoor lights for, for outside, and they're still in the box. And Kaylin keeps reminding me every day, Daddy, when are you going to put up the lights? And so I'm going to try to get them up before Christmas. But every one of us has probably decorated it. Sister Angie decorated our church so wonderfully here. And we've probably decorated with a tree and lights and wreaths and stockings and all the things that usually go into a home decor around Christmas time. Many of you probably set out uh, one of those nativity scenes like we have in front of us here today, probably on a much smaller scale, sitting on a, maybe an end table or maybe on, your, uh, on your, uh, uh, the hearth or somewhere on the fireplace. And, and uh, you, you put this little, this little figurines out there and they've got the Mary and Joseph and the little baby Jesus and maybe some wise men and we take the... <laughs> To be biblically correct, we take the wise men and put them down further away because we think that they came a little later than what is normally known. But anyway, those little arrangements are, are part of our Christmas decoration, reminding us 
of what Christmas is all about. It's not about trees or lights or candy canes. It's, it's about the coming of Jesus being born in Bethlehem in a stable. When I was a child, my mother put out one of those every year, and, and it was really old. It had some kind of strange plastic, uh, like fake grass on the top of it that through the years had fallen off to nearly nothing. It looked like it had the mange. It didn't have much on it on the top at all. But that, particularly, that particular nativity scene that I saw every year, time after time after time, it became to define in my memory what Christmas was all about. In the scene, just about every one of those people are doing something. The shepherds are coming from the hills. I remember one of the... Uh, one of the characters in my mother's nativity, he had a sheet draped across his shoulder to make sure you knew he was the shepherd. And then you had the, you had the magi coming and they were all holding, the, holding the, uh, uh, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You had the angel with the, uh, the ribbon maybe that says Gloria or Hallelujah. Or it, was, it was heralding the, the news of the, of the coming Christ child. And then, of course, you have Mary who is, who is holding and tending to the baby. She's in that nativity seat of mom. She's, she's looking down at the baby, almost as if she's about to reach out and pick the little baby Jesus up. But the only guy that's there not doing anything, seemingly, is Joseph. He's just kind of standing there. He's just kind of taking up space. He's not, he's not really doing anything. You know, most of us kids can, uh, most of us guys can identify with that at the, Birth of our children, uh, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot you, you can do. You can try to make yourself uh, uh, feel like you're doing something by trying to coach, but in reality, you don't have a whole lot to do with the birth of the child. You're just kind of there. Uh, but you, other, otherwise, you kind of feel pretty useless, like Joseph here. He, he may seem, on, on looking at the nativity scene, like he's a pretty useless character, but maybe that's why that all the nativity uh, Christmas characters in the nativity scene, Joseph is given pretty much the least amount of attention. I mean, how many of you have heard messages on wise men and the chef and Mary and especially Jesus and the, and the shepherds? You, you've heard people talk about that, but rarely do people talk about Joseph. But in reality, I believe that he is one of the most important figures around the birth of of the Christ child. Just as Mary was highly favored by God to be the mother of the Lord Jesus, Joseph was particularly chosen to fulfill the critically important role of foster father for the Son of God. What a great privilege and amount of care that God would prepare a man, not only a woman through which the Christ child would be born, but in his sovereign providence put together this man who would be an example of godliness for the Son of God. Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Make sure you get that out of your mind. The Bible goes out of its way clearly to indicate this very truth. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' conception and birth were a divine miracle. And yet God made it clear that this child needed a foster father, one who would love, 
care and protect the infant child Jesus. And although there is very little that is written about Joseph, as a matter of fact, many scholars believe that Joseph died somewhere in the late uh, uh, maybe teenage years of the early life of the Lord Jesus because after Jesus is 12 years old, Joseph is never mentioned again. Some believe that maybe Joseph died early in his life. But what we do have of him, we find a brilliant example of a godly man and a father from what a, uh, what a godly man and father is in his life. And I believe this morning that we can all learn a great deal from the life of this godly man and foster father of Jesus by applying some glaring characteristics of his life onto ours. Notice, first of all, I want you to see Joseph was sensitive. Sensitive. I only knew one of my grandfathers growing up. My, uh, my mother's father died when I was very young and uh, very few memories of him at all. Uh, but my, my dad's dad, I'd known him all my, you know, all my life. He, he died, I think, when I was in my uh, 40s, I believe, uh, early 40s, my granddad died. And he was a good, you know, he's a good man. He, he was a provider. He was, uh, he was a hard worker. He was loyal to his friends. But in reality, I rarely ever remember him being kindly affectionate to my grandmother. If anything, I only remember him barking orders at her or saying jokes about her at her expense. I, I never remember him saying anything nice or kind or loving to my grandma. He was always uh, of, of a rough character. One might have characterized him as being quite a bit insensitive towards my grandmother. Now, I want to be clear. Being a Christian does not make a man, uh, turn a man into a sissy uh, with lace on his underwear. He, he, has, he doesn't have to trade in his camo for a pink tutu to be a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible gives us examples of manliness over and over and over again. But being a Christian does mean that the very nature of the new birth opens us to a sensitivity or a love, a compassion towards others. If you're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, if you're going to follow in Him, He was a man of genuine compassion to others. That's what we see in the person of Joseph. Notice, first of all, we see this in his relationship to Mary. Earlier, when we read verses 18 and 19, you know, I want us to all kind of put ourselves in Joseph's shoes here. For all intents and purposes, he was married to Mary. This betrothal or espousal that comes up in verse number 18, it, it's, it's not an engagement. It's more than engagement, but it's not marriage. It's a binding contract before the community that these two people would be finally married. It's not like today, and you know, if 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 uh, if two people are engaged 
and uh, they realize down the road that they're incompatible, there's problems in the relationship, and they break it off, it's no big deal. It doesn't have community implications. It, it doesn't have to have a decree of divorce. Well, in Bible times, if you were espoused and going to be married, that espousal was a public contract. It was a public declaration. And so to break that off was a public thing. There had to be basically a divorcement, a public divorce to break off that espousal. And so that's the, that's the relationship between Mary and Joseph. And now all of a sudden, Mary turns up pregnant. Now I'm sure that she told him the story of the angel, that she told him of the message of the angel and all the things that, that, that she went through with Gabriel the angel. Let's be real honest here. From a natural standpoint, this points to her being unfaithful. Despite what she says, from, from the natural mind, from all outward indications, she has been unfaithful to her espoused husband. Now remember, nothing like this in the history of human events had ever happened before. Nothing like this in recorded history. And he had every right to be skeptical. He had the right to be downright furious as well. He had the right to, uh, to publicly humiliate her, to even go so far as to have her stoned according to the Mosaic law. And yet he didn't. But what did it say in verse 19? Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. He didn't do these things that would cause her great embarrassment. His, his mindset was to rein in all of his hurt, to contain it, bring in all of his anger and keep all of that in check to place her in a situation. It says that he was a just man, that he was a righteous man, an upright man. And in keeping uh, to God's law was going to dissolve the, uh, the espousal and discreetly return Mary to her family without public humiliation. He at this time, he had no dream, he had no vision, he had no angel. This was just kindness in his character. A compassion, a sensitivity toward other people. My question to you, gentlemen, and to all of us, are you that kind of sensitive towards other people? Again, there's no doubt that, that Mary told him of this angel and explained herself to the best of her ability. But from all outward indication, there is nothing that would cause him to fully believe and embrace what, she, what she's saying here. There's nothing for him to do that. But instead of blowing up, instead of putting her as the public face of infidelity, he, he kindly puts her away, has a mind to put her away. Do you let your rage take over 
and squash people that wrong you with never a thought of kindness and mercy towards another. Years ago, I was knocking on doors and I was talking with people about their, their condition with the Lord Jesus, if they'd known the Lord or not. And, and uh, I remember this one lady, she said, Oh, yes, and I, I'm a Christian. I live by the golden rule. Do unto others as they have done unto you. That's not exactly the way Jesus said it, but I fear that most of us, we live that way. Do unto others as they have done unto you. We play a tip for tat kind of game. Listen, that is not the golden rule. But it's the rule by which many live. There is, a, there is grace for them, but law for others. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But the character of Joseph was one of compassion. Even when he didn't understand what was going on. When the explanations made no sense to him. He was a man of compassion and sensitivity. Notice not only in his relationship with Mary, but in his revelations with God. It wasn't long that after Joseph had a mind to do away with this privately, that God intervened. When God revealed his plans to Mary to have the Christ child, God sent her an angel in the daytime. <laughs> this wasn't a dream. An angel visited with her. Its glowing presence, no doubt, was around her. And he told her this news that she would birth the Messiah. The angels, angels are divine beings that simply do the bidding of God. They're, you know, you go in your average Christian bookstore, you'll see angels and they're these little chubby-cheeked children, you know, with little bitty wings that could barely carry their fat bodies. That's not angels. Angels are fearful uh, creatures of splendor and beauty. And that's what Mary had encountered in person, live, in living cult. It wasn't a dream. It was something that actually happened to her in the physical realm. An encounter with one with a message from God is not something that would cause you to second guess what they said, said okay? But Joseph received no angel in, in, in his day-to-day -day work. As a, I guess he was a carpenter. Maybe he passed on that uh, as a carpenter. He had no, no angel visit him when he was in his carpenter's shop. There's nothing to indicate that. But he only had a dream. Before the full completion of the Word of God, God often spoke through dreams and visions. Now, now I want you to know that I've had some doozies of dreams in my lifetime. I mean, everything from sword fighting to auto racing. I've had some wild dreams in my lifetime. And at the end of the night, when I wake up in the morning, I often ask myself, where did that come from? Just a bizarre dream. Like, where did, why did I dream up that? There is little doubt that Joseph had these same questions when he had this dream of an angel giving him the message concerning Mary. Behold, while he thought on these things, verse 20, the angel Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Mary to thee, uh, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy, uh, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine him having that dream and waking up the next morning and saying, why did I have that dream? Was this indigestion or revelation? I, I know that 
I know that sometimes when you eat a lot of hot wings in the night, it can give you some strange dreams. Too much pizza late at night can give you some bizarre dreams. Was this indigestion or was this revelation? Joseph had the sensitivity to know that God was speaking to him. That's the point I want to drive home. The point we need to take away from Joseph's life is to ask herself, are you sensitive to God speaking to you? Jeremiah was hidden in a cave and, and uh, you know, the, 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 the scriptures talk about that the word of God did not come, did not come as a thunder, did not come as a great wind, did not come as these loud noises, but came as a still small voice. Gentlemen, I ask you, would you be sensitive enough to know when God is speaking to you through the reading of God's Word, through the speaking of the, the, of, of the hearing of the preaching of God's Word, when God is speaking to you through prayer and meditation on the things of God? Are you sensitive enough to listen and to hear what God is saying? This is what we ought to aspire to be as men of God and even as women of God. For God, for, to recognize when God is speaking to us, when God is leading us, when we read God's word and he smites our heart for, for something that we should repent of, something that we should make right, something that we should do, something that we should know about God. Are we sensitive enough to hear God speaking? Or we just kind of check our checkbox and read our chapter away, chapter a day to keep the devil away? Are we sensitive to God? Are we sensitive to people around us? I think that's what we can draw from Joseph. He was sensitive. And also, he was submissive. Have you ever been uh, up close to a horse? Uh, they are huge creatures. You know, they look small on TV. But when you regularly really stand beside one, they're gigantic. I mean, they're, they're, they are animals of powerful strength, can do amazing things. And yet, when one is broken, when a horse is meeked, in other words, they can be led around by a little child. You know, this is the picture of the submissiveness of every Christian, but particularly to those of the Christian man. And this is the submissiveness that we find with Joseph. Notice first, he was submissive to the Lord's decree. Look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Immediately, when he woke up the next morning, he was sensitive enough to not only hear God and what he was speaking, but to do the will of God. During the dream, the angel said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. There's no doubt that he loved Mary, but from every outward indication, she had been unfaithful to him. But God assured him that everything was okay, that this was the work of God, and that he should take Mary as his wife. In verse number 24, it says that he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. That word bidden there, it means command. It's not a suggestion. This wasn't optional. This was the command of God. For him to take this, this woman Mary and make her his wife. Eve, despite her condition, despite the inexplicable circumstances before the community, 
he was to take her as his wife. When he received the command, he obeyed the command. I like what one Bible commentator, William Burkett, said of this verse. Joseph's about jo- and Joseph's obedience. Listen to what he said. Learn thence that a gracious person, when once satisfied in God's word of command, disputes no further, but instantly complies with the will of God, even the most hazardous of and difficult of duties. When one is satisfied that God is speaking to them, that it is the word of God that God has commanded them, they will immediately do it. That's what we find in Joseph. I want you to learn something about obedience to the will of God. I do not believe that Joseph held his nose when he walked down the aisle with Mary, his wife. Although taking her would be difficult and it would not be understood to his family or the community around her, his heart had his heart no doubt delighted in her. Or he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been exposed to her, espoused to her from the beginning. Know this. Obeying God and following the will of God will not cause you to hold your nose and just deal with it. But it will be the relief of your heart and the delight of your life. It's like one old preacher used to say, if God wants you to be a missionary and go to Africa and your greatest fear is eating monkey meat, monkey meat will be the best tasting thing you ever ate in your life. (laughs) Doing the will of God is not a drudgery. It's not an albatross, a rotting albatross around your neck that you just have to live with. No, it is the crown of joy about your head that you will delight in. Joseph, he, he, was, he was obedient to God. He was submissive to the decree of God and then also submissive to the Lord's direction. Please note, when the angel appeared to Mary, she was only betrothed to Joseph and not yet married to him. But after verse 24... All the affairs and direction of that fledgling family came through Joseph. When they were married, Joseph made the decisions of that family. Where to go, when to leave, when to return. All of these, what we see in the scripture, are dictated and governed by Joseph. Fellas, fathers, husbands, men, we need to realize that you are tasked with the spiritual and physical leadership of your household. Your wife's not a doormat. She's not something for you to trample on. But she is someone that's taken, as Eve was taken from the side, she is someone near to your heart that you care for. She's not a doormat to walk on. And yet you are responsible with those decisions that determine the future of your family. And I believe that we will... We will will be held accountable by God for that task. It's a huge responsibility. But even though it's a huge responsibility, what do we see God doing for for this fledgling father, new husband? What do we find in his life? God leading him by the hand every step of the way. God revealing exactly all the places he needs to go, where he needs to go, when he needs to go. If you resolve to be the man that God wants you to be and to be the leader that God wants you to be, 
I promise you this, you will not be left in a lurch. God will be there to lead us and to guide us. I know all the doubts and fears of marriage and fatherhood, all the insecurities of making wrong decisions uh, the, uh, wrong decisions in life. That's where you need to be sensitive to the leading and the directing of God. Three times in these verses, Joseph is directed to move his family. A dangerous endeavor in that day and time. And yet, the life of the Messiah was at stake. Listen, if Joseph cared more about the Jerusalem football team or the local Carpenters Association, the night that the angel of the Lord told him to leave Bethlehem, Herod the Great would have assassinated King Jesus in the slaughter of all the babies in Jerusalem. If he had been preoccupied with everything, and he wasn't, he wasn't if he had been distracted by everything else going on, he might have missed that night. He might have missed the leadership of God and caused great harm to the purposes of God. Many of us fathers are asleep at the wheel when the livelihood of our families both spiritually and physically depend upon us walking close to God. I ask you, are you sensitive to the Lord's direction? Are you submissive to God's leading? Thirdly, lastly, Joseph was selfless. He was selfless. I heard a story a while back about Maria and Jimmy. Maria had broken things up with Jimmy a long time ago, telling him that she didn't want to be with him anymore. She never wanted to see him again. But after about a year, out of the blue, she wrote Jimmy a letter. Listen to what Maria said to Jimmy. Dear Jimmy, I miss you bad. I think about you all day and all night. You dominate my mind, and I just don't want to be apart from you anymore. Jimmy, let's reconnect. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. Something tells me that there's a little bit more behind her motivation than just reconnecting with Jimmy. You know, it's amazing how willing people are to do things when there is a personal benefit that is involved. In Joseph's case, there was very little personal benefit in every move that he made. In fact, he is looking at a much harder life ahead of him because of his choice to take Mary as his wife. Taking Mary as his wife was not the easy road. One can easily see that he is an example of selflessness, of placing others, the benefit of others before himself. You know, that's, I think that's a lost thing in, um, among men in our day and time. The ability to put the needs of others before ourselves is essential to being a godly man. Here, first of all, I want to see choosing his faith before his reputation. Taking Mary as his wife was not an easy thing to do. Although he had been honorable when it came to his fiancée, in the eyes of the community, he would be looked down upon. I mean, what would you think? If Mary come up pregnant and Joseph was not angry, 
did not pitch a fit before the community and demand a divorcement, but went on and married her anyway. What would you think had gone on? Joseph was righteous, godly in all of the things, he, the way he conducted himself, and yet he would be labeled for, uh, for the rest of his days as questionable in character when it came to his wife. People would have whispered about him and spread lies about him. He would be the talk of the town. And Joseph didn't ask for this. It just flies in the face of that prosperity gospel that if you, if you do everything right, if, you, if, you, if you're a godly person, then nothing bad ever is going to happen to you and you, you won't be lied about and you won't, be, you won't have to go through trouble. Can you imagine what this man had to go through when it all was out about his relationship with Mary? He was doing the right thing. And this would have been widely known and whispered about for decades. As a matter of fact, it was whispered about even unto the life of the Lord Jesus. Years later, Jesus was in a heated exchange with the Pharisees. And in that discussion, they dread, these Pharisees dredged up the whole situation with his father and Mary from 30 years ago. And they said this, we be not born of fornication. The insinuation was that Jesus had been born of fornication between Joseph and Mary. And nothing could be further from the truth. But Joseph selflessly believed God. He trusted his voice and relinquished his reputation in the minds of others. What God knows about you is far more important than what others think about you. What God knows, your integrity... Your life when nobody's looking is vastly more important than what the people in the pew next to you or the people at the office think about you or the people at the school think about you. What's most important is what God knows about you. You see, he is selflessly yielding himself to God even when it came down to his reputation. Are you more concerned about what people think or what others say about you than trusting God and obeying God? Nobody said trusting God and obeying God is going to be easy and make you the, uh, the, the center of a popularity contest. But it is vastly more important. Not only choosing his faith before his reputation, but choosing his family before his aspiration. God's command from the angel of the Lord was first of all to leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt. Go to Egypt. And he was to leave. And then, then when the time was right, by a dream, once again a dream, not a, not a visitation, but by a dream, he was led from Egypt to come back to the land of Israel. The threat of the, to the life of Jesus had subsided with the death of Herod the Great and God had opened the door for them to go back to their homeland. But to where? It looked as though he was heading for Judea, but then there was a change of mind. Verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus, this is the son of Herod, Archelaus had, did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. Here we find 
that he's still uncertain. Jesus needs to be protected. His fledgling family needs, uh, he needs to be wary of where he goes. He's warned of God in a dream here. Whatever the case is, whether it was before or now, the, the case is this, that God directed him to Galilee the place of his original leaving to go to Bethlehem. Remember the story how that Joseph and Mary, Joseph and Mary they lived in Galilee and then under the, the tax uh, sent out by Caesar, they, they left there and went to Bethlehem and that's where they had Jesus and they remained there for several years. But he originally, they originally were from Galilee. And so, so here they go, they go in back into Galilee and they end up in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth today in our ears just sounds like a sounds a it's a good place. I mean, that's where Jesus came from. It might be a popular place. Uh, Nazareth today might be looked upon with a bit of admiration because it's such association with Jesus, but it was not when Jesus was a baby. Nazareth uh, was what we might call the wrong side of the tracks. It was reported to be the resident of shady characters. It was rampant with poverty. The economic prospect of going to Nazareth was not the greatest. It was not the place you would pick as the childhood home of a king. Its reputation was so bad that when Jesus was calling his disciples and Nathaniel was approached by one of Jesus' disciples to come see Come see a man, Jesus, he's from Nazareth. And he, he actually responds with the, with the saying that was going around at the night, can anything good come from Nazareth? And yet that's where Joseph settled down, providing the cover of such a place to protect his foster child, Jesus. Here is a man that chose the protection of his family, then, then his own aspirations of prosperity and respectability. He could have moved to another place where he was an unknown. Where nobody would have known about the situation with him. But he goes right back into the area from whence he came. He could have gone somewhere else, but he, he came back to Galilee into Nazareth. Are you the kind, are you that kind of selfless person? I was reading a book, a, a blog post by someone a while back where they were talking in conversation with uh, Dr. Lee Robertson. Dr. Lee Robertson died probably about 20, 25 years ago, but he was a great leader, a Christian leader here in Chattanooga. He had one of the largest Sunday schools at one time in the world in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Dr. Lee Robertson. And they were asking him of the key to success in the Christian life. And his response was this. And this was a message that permeated his ministry. Die to self. Die to self. Die to compliments, die to criticism, die to self, and be filled with the Spirit. Be led of God. Listen to me, dying to self is a must. If we're to be the people that God wants us to be, and particularly the men that God wants us to be to lead our families, there needs to be a dying to ourself and replacing it with the Lordship of Jesus, what God would want for our life. Joseph was a great example of this kind of man, a godly man that was a selfless man, a sensitive man, a submissive man. 
to God. Joseph was a great example of godliness because he made room in his life, everywhere in his life, for Jesus. Jesus was at the center of his life. Now, I, I know as um, parents, it's not, it's not healthy to put your children at the center of everything. It's not healthy. It's not the way to live a life because they become, they grow up real thinking that everything is surrounding around them. But for Joseph, it really was important that Jesus be the center of his life. And for us, men and women, it ought to be our goal to have Jesus at the center. What's best for the kingdom of God? What's best for the future of my family concerning God, His direction, His leading in my life, my yieldedness to His desire and will for my life? What does Jesus want with my life? Not just what is I think is best for my life. As a Christian, what can we glean from His wife? An essential to be sensitive. Sensitive to God, to know when God's speaking. To be sensitive to the people around us, as Jesus had compassion. We ought to to endeavor to have that same kind of passion for for those around us. And it's hard, man. When you see people around you that flaunt and laud their wickedness, their vileness, it's hard to have compassion. I know this. But we are to meet that with the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Submissive. Submissive to God. Also, selflessness when it comes to the leadership and what we ought to be. Being selfless. Putting others in front of us. Their best interest. God's best interest in front of us. That's what Joseph teaches us in this lesson. Yeah, Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center of this message. And that all gets back to the gospel. Why is Jesus at the center? Because he's the Lord and Savior. He's the one that died on the cross for our sins, was raised from the grave. He's the only hope of forgiveness. The only hope of justification, being made right before God, is wrapped up in Jesus. He ought to be. He deserves to be. Your life, Paul said your life is not your own. You're bought with the prize, child of God. He ought to be the center of your life. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Joseph is a great model of godliness. Even though when we look at him, sometimes it doesn't seem like he has much to do with this story. There is so much to learn from the life of Joseph that can apply to our life in relationship with the Lord Jesus. If God's spoken to your heart, I pray, God, deal with God. Just do business with God today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for the example of your foster father, Joseph. What we see in him, in his sensitivity, in his yieldedness, in his his being directed by God, and putting putting you first in his life. God, I pray you would make us into the same kind of men and the same kind of Christians. Father, I pray that you would convict us of sin. Well, we have not... God, if we're in a state in our spiritual lives to where we wouldn't know... We wouldn't know God speaking to us if he dropped a big bright sign in our front yard. God, I pray you would help us to have a heart that says, I want to know what God has to say to me. I want to be sensitive to God speaking and leading. 
me just as he was to Joseph. God, I pray you'd help us to do that. God, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Page number, whoop, page number 375, 375, have thine own way, Lord. Just a moment of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart, if God has convicted you of your, of your need in certain areas, I pray that you'd deal with, do business with God tonight. Holy Spirit, God, have your way with us. Have thine own way, 375. Go ahead, Brother Roger.